Amen. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Oh, man. I've, I mean, like, I get excited about this every time, this time of year. Like, I get to say that. And it, it means something. So let, let me try. And the three that responded just now, I appreciate you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. We, uh, we discovered last week that, and as John 1 reads, that with the coming of Jesus preceded by the, the birth of John the Baptist changed everything. When Jesus entered the world, everything literally changed. And today we have a tendency to look at that, those words like something changed through this contemporary um, isolated lens. We have a tendency to think like when, when something is changing, we run to the news outlet to see how they're reporting it. We check social media and we, we see what's being said about it. Or we, uh, we see people go online and create memes about it. But when I say that, that the birth of John the Baptist coming, preceding and paving the way for Jesus to come into the world, and I say it changed everything. I'm talking about it changed everything in an eternal and in a, like, a lasting and permanent sense. It's not the birth of a dignitary. It's not the birth of some king in some foreign country who was born of the world and as a historical prominent figure, we turned and, like, paid homage. When I say that Jesus coming into the world, you have to imagine his birth breaking the fabric of what separated us from God. And it literally flipped the world on end. In fact, in 1 John 4, it tells us that God himself is love and was made flesh in the person of Jesus. And Jesus, being God, was that love we just sang about. And he has made his entrance into the world. And when he did, he became the love that changed the world. Everything. Because John does call him this in his first epistle, and because God does in inspiring John to write said epistle, I'm going to refer to Jesus as love through the rest of this sermon. Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay. John the Baptist was a promised preacher that would enter the world and be that chink in the armor for the present darkness that existed. It enveloped Israel for 400 years. We talked about that last week. At his very pronouncement, It left his father mute. And this alerted the people that something had taken place with Zechariah in the temple. Either God met with him himself or there was a messenger sent there into the temple. When he emerged unable to speak, unable to talk about it, a shockwave was sent throughout Israel because after centuries of only silence for the Jew, no widespread revelation, there's... There's no prophet speaking. This, for him to go in, just a normal individual going through the ritual and routine and to come out unable to speak about it, anticipation had finally made a return. Hope was awake again in the life of the people. Last week we examined Mary's response to God selecting her. And uh, I want... I want to begin by reading what was surrounding said response. We, we closed our service last week by, re, by reading and reciting responsively what Mary said. In, in Luke 1, 39, it says this, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah 
and entered the house of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe within her leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of our Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of the things which were told to her by the Lord. Verse 56. And Mary remained with her for three months in the return to her house. So she stays for the birth of John the Baptist, which we're going to get into in a moment. But I want to make my first point, if it's okay. Point one, love stirred and was stirring people even from within the womb. Love was stirring people even from within the womb. We just read it here. It stirred Elizabeth to prophesy. Remember, Elizabeth was barren, unable to have children, and that kind of ostracized her from the community of women around her. But at the point when she's impregnated with John the Baptist, she's now postmenopausal. So this is a miracle in and of itself. It says that when the angel spoke to Zacharias, he says, your petition has been heard and answered. Now, when your wife gets postmenopausal, you're not expecting her to have a baby, right? This, this just means yes, okay? All right, so, so like you're probably not praying for a baby anymore. How many of you are grateful that God hears your prayers, even the ones long ago? How many of you are grateful that God doesn't give up when you come to him sincerely and a deep, with a deep heart of petition? He doesn't forget. He may be silent, but it doesn't mean it's over. And so here Elizabeth is stirred to prophesy. The baby, John the Baptist, is filled with the Holy Spirit and leaps with joy within the, the womb of the barren and the postmenopausal. I mean, leaps within the baby and it causes... Uh, leaps within the womb and it causes the mother to speak out, blessed are you among women, blessed are you who believed. How many of you have ever been given something tricky, really difficult with the Lord and you just trusted God even though circumstantially it didn't make sense? Nothing about it added up. Because quite honestly, the, the birth or the, the, the pregnancy of Mary was stirring Mary as well. I want to read again the pronouncement that the Lord gave her that she would be impregnated. It says, then Mary turned to the angel. Here's her response to what the angel says. Then Mary turns to the angel. How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has now conceived a son in her old age and is in her sixth month, the one who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. And then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to the word. The angel departed from her. Love stirs her to accept something that is unique, a unique call and a unique role that she is called to fulfill in the kingdom and for her God. Love stirs her to accept the fact that everything is going to change for her and that she will potentially be ostracized by her community and falsely accused. 
Before we go into that further, I want to look at how it stirred Joseph. Can you imagine the conversation that happens with Mary? And then she says, yeah, well done. And then the angel goes to Joseph. Joseph, her betrothed, it says, after this, after his mother Mary was betrothed, Matthew 1, 18, to Joseph, before they came together, she, found, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just a man and not wanting to make her a public example, had minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is, is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until they brought forth a firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now, love is stirring him to accept a future with Mary that is incredibly uncertain and by all accounts, for human perspective, foolish. Maybe the most foolish thing that he could have ever done. Why? Because love is about to stir the people. Love is about to stir the people and it's going to stir them with the scent of scandal. Think about what's going on for them. Betrothal in their day was far more intense, far more legally binding than engagement of our day. Um, let me take that further. It was established by their parents when a, a boy and a girl were about 12 or 13 years old and it lasted for a, a year. It could only be dismissed by either a public divorce and disgrace or death. That was it. So it was very serious. Joseph sought to privately uh, divorce Mary as if to save her respect and to save her from stoning publicly. They were regularly referencing one another as husband and wife because in the betrothal period, that was okay. That's how intense this was. In fact, for the year of betrothal, here's what it would look. She was asked to spend the year in purity that they were not going to live together, nor would they be sexually relating. And he spent, he spent the year preparing for their, their first home together as a couple. Usually that was an extension onto his in-law's house, preparing a, a wing for he and his bride. Once married, the male was actually unable to work for an entire year because the village cared for them to solidify their marriage covenant together so that he could be emotionally available to his wife. How many of you remember that first year of marriage? How many of you remember how fun it was? The village understood that and took it so seriously that they cared for the couple financially just so the two could become one because becoming one is extremely difficult. And, and so they cared for them to solidify that in hopes. Joseph and she both would have been disgraced. After all this planning had taken place, they would have been disgraced and the people had right lawfully to take her life, to kill her. This is how serious this is. This is how Im immense Jesus being placed in her womb meant and, and how, how culturally and socially they would have been ruined, cut off. Joseph and Mary would have been seen as foolish. 
Joseph would have been seen as dis, undisciplined and disrespectful, disgracing her and disgracing her family for taking advantage of a girl before it was lawfully accepted. And the woman, she had been shunned by her females, her female community. She, because she had been a disgraced bride, she would be considered a harlot, promiscuous and shunned by the female community of her day. How many of you recognize that, that God will sometimes call you to do things that are difficult? How many of you recognize that God will use your marriage to survive things that are difficult as a hope to those around them? Here, just a side note, this is free this morning. How about that? This is what God desires from your marriage and commitment. God will call you into persecution for his son's namesake. Look at this example. Look at what he's doing with just Joseph and Mary. It's not at all comfortable. In fact, Jesus and following him as a godly couple is quite the opposite. It's going to be hard. This shows God as the center of all marriage covenants. And the denial of self is imperative to see his plan through in becoming one. Love and commitment is still the choice that burns heavier than passion and lust. And lastly... The point of marriage has never been and will never be about personal happiness. Look at this picture. This isn't fun. This is about holiness. The point of marriage is personal holiness so that the flesh that is in you, that selfishness that, that resides, that thing that comes out in your first year of marriage that makes you prominently uh, aware of how selfish you are and how much you want your way and that's why you fight so much starts to fall off so that you become one and, and through it all you experience this joy of just, listen to this, of just being with someone and not putting on airs. How, everyone do this. Just being yourself with someone and being completely accepted and loved for being who you are and all your mistakes. The, the covenant picture of marriage is the closest practical picture we have on the planet to what it means to be in covenant with Jesus and to be loved and accepted for who you are without impressing anyone else. Amen? That's exciting to me. That's exciting that I don't have to impress him. Anyone else? You see, the entire world right now with Jesus being placed inside Mary's room and all the hope and anticipation of the silence being broken that we read about last week has reached a fever pitch right now in the world. It has reached a fever pitch to the level that, that the world as is, is as pregnant with anticipation for the coming Messiah as Jesus or Mary is pregnant with Jesus himself. Like the entire world is anticipating Jesus now. And all of that which is swirling around it means it will flip everything on its end. And, and Mary carries, as a 13-year-old girl, the child. Point two. Have you ever anticipated anything? Because just because things go silent, it doesn't mean it's over. How many of you have prayed something to the point where you're done praying it. You see, God is not gonna hear and it seems silent, so you let it go and it comes to be when you least expect it years, maybe decades later. Uh, prove my point. 
You remember after 30 years of silence, and you remember, you remember having your little Boba Fett figure and you had your little Millennium Falcon carry case to put all your figurines in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Kids of the 80s, raise your hands. You remember, and when you, when you heard this was coming at Christmas, right? Like Christmas came early for all us nerds. Like, like we were so geeked. Like I remember going to the theater, bought my tickets well in advance, got to the theater. I am in a, in a line, two, two lines deep around the theater itself. And then when time hit, I, I remember watching, I'm standing next to a dumpster. I saw every single theater flip to Star Wars. I went, whoo, like, like, I mean, it was awesome. And when the Millennium Falcon showed up on screen for the first time in 30 years, how many people, like your, your whole theater erupted. Mine was on its feet like, oh my gosh, there it is. Like, it was unbelievable. Everyone was so jacked and that had only been 30 years. Imagine 400 years waiting to the point where you have forgotten what was promised where you just go through the routine and you go through the rigor and ritual so much so that you forget what you were once excited about. When John was born, the world was so rampant with self-righteousness and darkness that it didn't know anything else. It was repugnant to God, unacceptable. There were centuries upon centuries of silence and almost a forgotten hope. But silence doesn't mean it's over. Silence doesn't mean that God wasn't acting. That, that what may appear as silence maybe isn't in fact silence to God at all. God is always acting. And he's always moving because God loves us. So when Zechariah met Gabriel, came out of the temple unable to speak, curiosity was birthed and there was a hope. Nine months later, Zacharias and Elizabeth were, were given a son. After praying for years, were given a son. And just as they were about to name him Zachariah, because this is the family name, name him after the father, that makes sense. And by the way, the father was required to name the child. The father couldn't speak. And in fact, at the, at the point of presentation in the temple, he still can't speak eight days after the boy is born. He's going to be circumcised and presented and they turn to the the mother because the father is mute and say, what do we call him? He says, his name is John. I want to to read it for you. Here it is. Now, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. This is in Luke 1, verse 57. And she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But his father answered and said, no, 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 the boy's name is John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives called by this name. So they made signs to his father. What shall he be called? And he asked them for a writing tablet. And he wrote this saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke praising the one who had given. He started praising God. Then fear came on all those who dwelt around them 
And all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept it in their hearts saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. On the eighth day of the presentation, the circumcision, Zechariah's tongue is loosed as he names his son, the promised son who came from God. The father was responsible. And now he who was mute and built in anticipation within all the people, nine months of silence, now can speak. And the first thing he speaks. Now, I want to say this. It's almost as if, listen, it's almost as if a, 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 a practical picture, an illustration exists in, and is embodied in Zacharias. The 400 years of silence being broken in the world for the Jew by the birth of John, by his entrance is almost mirrored by the silence of his father, Zacharias, being broken at the point that he can name his son. And here's what John's daddy does with the first thing he can say. He begins to preach about the preacher his son will be and the promised Lord that is coming. He says this, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets we have been, uh, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abram to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Sorry, sometimes when you read scripture, it just causes you to pause, doesn't it? How many of you serve the Lord without fear? Anyone been stricken or point, brought to the point of crippling because of fear. God calls you to do something that circumstantially doesn't make sense and you don't do it because of fear. Let me read forward. From the hand of all who hate us and perform the mercy promised to our fathers and they remembered his holy covenant, the oath sworn to Abraham to grant us being delivered from the hand of our enemies that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. 400 years of silence broken. And I wanna, I wanna read, if it's okay, a lot of scripture today, is that Okay. Here's what it sounded like when John the Baptist preached from Luke 3, uh, verse 2. And while Ananias and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance from the mission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah prophet saying, 
the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, making his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all the flesh shall be see the salvation of God. Verse seven, then he said to the multitudes that came who, to be baptized by him, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, let every tree which does not bear good fruit be cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? He answered them and said, he who has two tunics... Let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this sound familiar? The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' yoke. If you have, if you have a coat, give it away. Give away your second. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. To the tax collectors, also came to be baptized. He said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Stop robbing the people. Likewise, the soldier said, what shall we do? He said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation and all reason within their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. John answered saying to all of them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing Hand, if, we'll stop there. Listen, I'm a little excited about this. What John comes into the world saying is he points directly to the one that came before him. He does take no credit. He doesn't get elevated in his own mind. In fact, he's probably someone we wouldn't even let in our own church because he was dirty, he smelled, he ate bugs, he covered himself with animal hair, I mean, he was a freak. He was homeless. And he comes out of the wilderness speaking with such authority to those who were religious elitists. He calls them brood of vipers. That the religious rituals and the religious piety that you've built is about to be cut down. And they ask, what shall we do? And he says, love like you've never loved before. Love selflessly. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Give away your tunic. What does he say? He says, love your enemy. Love your neighbor. He preaches the very things that Jesus will preach as the manifesto to his entire ministry. And Zacharias, his daddy, preached and pointed to how important the words that he was saying would be. Because, point three, in just a few months after John shows up, Jesus does. And love is birthed. As much as I'd like to offer commentary to this, Scripture really requires none. It's not because I'm lazy. I'm a preacher. I like to talk. 
what happens in Jesus showing up is amazing. I'm simply going to read for you what takes place when Jesus comes. Luke 2, 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up to Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, and to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there and the days were completed for her to be delivered, that she brought forth a firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn, John 1. In him was life. In that life was the light of men. And the light shines into the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness to the light that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this is the one whom I said comes after me as preferred before me for he was before me and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And of his fullness, we've all received grace for grace. The law was given through Moses, yet grace and truth came through Jesus. I'm going to conclude. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and here's what I want to say. The love that changed the world is Jesus. And he's changing things right now, even right here in this room. His coming had permanent impact, and it didn't just change things for that day. It changed eternity. We are just as much in need of Jesus today as they were then. Things are dark and only getting darker. 2 Timothy 3 says this about our day. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, Haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such, turn away. It's almost as if, like, we talk about the consumerism that that comes around the Christmas season. It's almost as if the words that Paul wrote to Timothy here reach a a fever pitch of their own. How many of you have seen people trample old women just to get that, that, to that sale on Black Friday? And from such, 
turn away because new life begins in our turning. Turning from our own self-righteousness, our own strive to earn love, acceptance, and salvation. The Bible teaches in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. What that means is that we've all been self-righteous, striving to be God and worshiping ourselves. It goes on to say that we've fallen short of God's desire. His standard for man was to give him glory, but we continue to try to keep it for ourselves. It also says in Romans 5.8, that but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, still living in the way that I just read about in 2 Timothy, lovers of self, that Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says, the wage of sin is eternal death, but the gift of God was eternal life through his son, Jesus. Love. John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, you and I can turn. We can turn to Him. We can have new life because it's only found in Him. The world grew dark and silent in His day. God broke the silence and defeated the darkness in sending Jesus. And our day is just as dark. And thus, He is sending Jesus to do this for you and for me even this morning. Truth is, if you'd like to talk to someone about this, I'm gonna be available. I'm gonna be right here. I'll have the staff available and I'm gonna have prayer partners on both sides. I made a decision to follow Jesus just before I turned 17 and it forever changed my world because I truly believed I was unlovable. My circumstances had taught me that. Jesus changed everything. You can also come today to this altar. If you come and you go, I just, I need to pray at his altar. Please come, it's open. If you go, I have a prayer request. I want others praying for this, but I want to give it in silence. That's why these crosses exist. Pin it to the cross, put it there. Come, we are all to respond. If you're here today and you go, God has redeemed my household, my family, my marriage, my kids. If you go, that's what he's done for me then I want you to come to the table today and I want you to celebrate that. I want you to celebrate that as you look at the body that was broken and the blood that was shed for you. And I want you to celebrate as a family at his table together. But here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go alone. How many of you are grateful for spiritual community and for your church? This again means yes. What I want you to do today, I want you to find a family that is in your life right now. And I want you to go with them and I want you to thank God for redeeming your home and for the righteous that is evident by his blood and sacrifice in their home. I want you to thank God for Jesus and I want to thank I want you to thank God for the family that you chose to go have communion with today. Amen.